Hello, you're listening to Health Affairs This Week. I'm Rob Lott. And I'm Vabron Watts. This is the podcast where every week health affairs editors and leaders get together to talk about the latest news and other noteworthy topics in health policy. So here we are, Vabe. How's it going today? You know, Rob, it is going well. You know, it's you know, it's been a while since we actually talked about the um, the Dobbs decision, which came down on June 24th. So, you know, beyond all the public statements, the protest and the media coverage, what have we seen since then in terms of policy? Yeah, thanks, Fabe. I know we we had a uh, a podcast episode when the original decision was leaked, um, but we really haven't sort of touched base since the official decision came down. And um, when it did, a number of states already had so-called trigger laws in place. These are laws that said basically, if the Supreme Court overturns Roe, we automatically outlaw abortion in our state. And so when the Supreme Court overturned Roe, that's what happened in states like Alabama, Arkansas, South Dakota. Not all the trigger laws outlaw abortion completely. Some have exceptions for rape and incest, and not all were set to take effect immediately. But add to this sort of wild mix a lot of legal wrangling as state courts try to parse what is and isn't allowed in their own state constitutions, and it's a real... Uh, a real mess going forward. Um, no surprise there. And um, where do we stand at the federal level, like from the executive branch? Yeah. So last Friday, uh, July 8th, the White House announced an executive order aimed at protecting access to abortion. Now, as is often the case with executive orders, there was a lot of uh, wiggle language with phrases like, directing agency leadership to clarify guidance and increasing outreach, public education. I think they they even um, launched a new website. Um, so these kinds of things don't always pan out after uh, the big press conference. But what I think is more notable, even if it's gotten less attention, is that since then we've actually seen department and agency heads taking action over the last few days, sort of. Like what? On Monday, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services issued clarifying guidance on the Emergency Medical Treatment and Active Labor Act, EMTALA. And this is the law that says that basically if someone shows up having a heart attack on the doorstep of the emergency room, the emergency room uh, at any Medicare-serving hospital, which is basically all of them, uh, the emergency room cannot turn them away because they don't have insurance or can't pay. And so in Monday's guidance, they essentially reaffirmed for all to hear um, that the law protects providers when offering legally mandated life or health-saving abortion services in emergency situations. And this guidance was actually paired with a letter from HHS Secretary Javier Becerra directed specifically at providers and um, this letter basically underscores that the federal law preempts any state law restricting access to abortion in emergency situations. And the quote here uh, from the secretary is, um, if a state law prohibits abortion and does not include an exception for the health or life of the pregnant person or draws the exception more narrowly than, than Amtala's emergency medical condition definition, the state law is preempted, close quote. So 
it's not a new law or regulation. That's right. It's sort of the soft policy making um, that we see a lot of when there's pressure to act quickly or to resolve conflicting interpretation of laws already in place. It's sort of a way of exerting pressure and putting sort of a public marker down in the hopes of tamping down maybe on some of the debate. It's, it's also a way of theoretically providing cover to clinicians and let's say also their attorneys who may otherwise be unclear about how to interpret the current state of rules. Yeah, that's exactly right, Vey. But another example of this came down on Wednesday when we got another guidance document from HHS, this time directed at pharmacies and pharmacists, declaring that pharmacies that receive federal funding can't discriminate based on their views on contraception and abortion. An example of this might be a pharmacist refusing to fill a prescription for the abortion pill mifepristone. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, right, but uh, the the kind of uh, pill for someone experiencing the kind of early miscarriage. Um, and um, there have been reports of this happening of, of pharmacists refusing to dispense um, that that kind of pill. And this letter, citing provisions from the Affordable Care Act and other laws, essentially says to pharmacists, cut it out. I imagine all of this may set some some of the stage for further litigation. Yeah, we really don't know where things will go from here. Clearly, there's a lot still to be hashed out. Um, in the meantime, Vabe, and sort of here's my segue for you. There are some things that we do know pretty clearly, and uh, one of those things is um, the health equity implications of a ruling like Dobbs. Uh, specifically, abortion has at least two equity angles, right? There's the sort of role of women and the role of race. Yeah. So, you know, abortion is one of those things, like that you said, it, it does address two equity angles. You, you know, you're dealing with women as well as you're dealing with race. And so, you know, among the states that actually track race and ethnic data on abortion, it's only 29 of those states, and including D.C., that does. Um, in 2019, re- reports show that uh, black women had the highest number of abortions, um, followed by Hispanic women. Um, then that was followed by um, um, white women. And then you have um, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and other Pacific Islanders in that order. So, you know, one of the things, Rob, um, Heather McGee, she's the author of The Sum of Us. And she said that, you know, in her, in her book, she mentioned, and, and I'm paraphrasing, she said, you know, that when the government passed a strike that strikes down legislation where people lose protective rights, you know, it's usually worse for people who are already marginalized. So that is something that a lot of people are, particularly um, um, advocates, um, are really speaking out for, you know, women of color when it comes to um, abortion. So the disparities are pretty stark. Um, can you say a little more about sort of what's behind that? Um, yeah, so so research, Rob, it, you know, tells us that it is leaning towards like uh, access. I mean, as we know, just even with like um, medical care, we, we know, you know, several reports show that, you know, um, African-American as well as Hispanic um, people um, have, do not have, um, I would say, effective access to certain things. And in this case, you know, a lot of research is pointing towards access to contraceptives, Um, something, you know, that you mentioned, you know, earlier on. And that was something that the Biden administration really wanted to really expand, you know, contraceptives to people. So that's that's one of the 
as uh, I would say experts say, is, is one of the main drivers to why getting an abortion will probably be a more viable option for people who may not have enough money to continue contraceptives care. Gotcha. Okay. So um, this is also probably rooted in disparities we see in other parts of life, whether it's access to prenatal health care, access to early childhood care and, and education, uh, even things like paid parental leave. It sounds like it's all sort of an interwoven um, safety net or lack thereof. You know, all of that is, plays a role. Um, and that's why with, within certain states, you know, they, the advocates are really pushing, particularly in the case of Mississippi, which we know, which was, you know, part of the forefront of this um, overturning of, um, of Roe um, v. Wade. And so, you know, one of the things that was mentioned and highlighted um, from these advocates who are trying to, I guess, undo the overturning of uh, Roe versus Wade, you know, the, the one thing, one of the things they really highlighted the mortality rates um, among um, African-American women as it relates to um, in, um, maternal and infant mortality rate. Um, in the United States, an average of 18 birthing parents who are black will die for every 100,000 live births. For black women in Mississippi, it is um, over 50 per 100,000 live births, according to the Jackson Free Press. So I'm glad you mentioned the, the maternal mortality rates, Vabe. Um, we in, at Health Affairs have a series called Leading to Health about health system transformation efforts. And we've published a number of pieces about health systems that have really zeroed in on maternal mortality rates as an opportunity to close disparities, improve health, advance health equity. And what's been interesting, I think, in these examples is that although over the last, you know, five, 10 years, there's been a general growing recognition that this is a serious problem, it's a really complicated problem that's been resistant to change. And the fact that people are sort of drawing that connection in this conversation about Dobbs and abortion, I think just really underscores how it's all connected. And, you know, policies um, around reproductive rights have a way of, um, you know, being connected to other uh, impacts on uh, people's health and women's health in particular. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, absolutely. Everything is, is definitely connected. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out over the next next few months as well as the um, next uh, few years to come. For sure. Well, maybe that's a good spot to wrap up, Vabe. It's been great chatting with you. To our listeners, uh, please tune in next week. And of course, leave a review or recommend uh, Health Affairs this week to a friend. Thanks so much. Thank you, Rob. Have a good one.